Since 2005, Blue Hat has been where the security research community and Microsoft come together as peers. To debate and discuss, share and challenge, celebrate and learn. On the Blue Hat podcast, join me, Nick Fillingham. And me, Wendy Zanoni, for conversations with researchers, responders and industry leaders, both inside and outside of Microsoft. Working to secure the planet's technology and create a safer world for all. And now, on with the Blue Hat Podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Blue Hat Podcast. We have some very special guests with us today. We have Devin Price and Derek Love. This is also a very special episode because we are recording the video of this, which is not normal for the Blue Hat Podcast. Um, We are having these extra features to celebrate Black History Month, and we're so happy to have you both on the podcast. We'd like you to introduce yourselves. We'll start with Devin. Devin, if you want to go ahead and tell us a little about yourself, and then we'll move over to Derek. Sure. Well, hello, everyone. Uh, my name is Devin Price. I am a security technical program manager here at Microsoft, where I get the honor of protecting billions of customers from security and privacy threats. Thank you. My name is Derek Love, and I am a technical program manager here at Microsoft. Been here for a little over three years. And like Devin said, we get the honor of protecting billions of people and Microsoft as well as its assets. And it's a really fun and impactful job. Gentlemen, thank you for joining us. Devin, we'll start with you again. If you could give us a little bit of a, a little bit of an introduction into how you got into cybersecurity, how you got into this field. Do you feel like you had an unorthodox path into cybersecurity or do you feel like you, you know, followed, you know, a track that was well worn by others before you? Sure. I'm the very traditional cybersecurity path. So I'll actually go even one step further, Nick, and just give you a, a really quick version of how I got into tech. So my parents both of them started out within tech. So growing up, you know, tech was just kind of, it was a normal thing to me because they would talk about it at, you know, over the dinner table about their jobs. They're both, you know, IT project managers. So working in tech was never this thing of like, oh, can I do it? It's just like, no, I I see two people do it all the time. So that's what I I went to school for. I went to school for information systems at, at UMBC, proud alumni there. And then when I got out of school, I was a systems analyst at Geico for three years, did that, had a great time there. Did you meet the CEO? Is it about this tall, <laughs> scales? <laughs> no, no. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. No, there's a lot of stories about that. But yeah, that that was fun. Sorry, keep going. Um, I have a lot of Geico, no, I have a lot of Geico memorabilia to this day. I'll bet you but do. One of the things, Nick, you know, I was three years into being a systems analyst and I got the job at Geico through a rotational program, you know, right, straight out of school. And so when that rotational program was ending, I needed to find a place to uh, to go, you know, after the, the program ended. And so I would take, you know, walks around the building uh, back when we were all, everyone was going to offices before the pandemic. You know, I would be walking around at lunch and there was always this building that, or this door in the building that was locked and it was called the cybersecurity department. And my dad had been telling me a little bit about cybersecurity. You know, I'd been heard it was getting popular, but I really didn't have much of experience myself. And so I, I sent an email to the director of the cybersecurity department at Geico, and I said, hey, you know, my program is, is ending in three months, and, you know, I have zero experience, but if you're, you know, looking to— I love to, locked for, doors. For, yeah. Yes, yeah, exactly. <laughs> you, you know, if you're looking for people to hire, uh, you know, I'm, I'm available. And, you know, a couple of weeks went by, and he said, you know, got me an interview, and that's how I started my journey in cybersecurity. That's awesome. So it was just kind of me being in the, the right place at the right time. 
yeah, and asking great questions and reaching out and obviously being an advocate for yourself. And we'll, we'll touch on some more of that. Derek, how about you? Also, did you have a sort of a linear traditional path or do you felt maybe a little bit more unorthodox to find yourself in cybersecurity? Yeah, I'd say like Devin, my path was pretty linear. I, in undergrad, I, I majored in computer science at uh, North Carolina A&T State University. That is the the largest HBCU, historically black college university, also the number one producer of African-Americans with degrees in science, technology, engineering, and math. So there were a lot of other fellow nerds at, at North Carolina A&T with me, and um, I really enjoyed my time there. Came out uh, just like Devin. I started as a part of a, a rotational program or leadership development program with a bank called Wachovia. And so it was there for a number of years. It was acquired by Wells Fargo Bank. So total uh, between those, I stayed there for eight years. Progressing, you know, I started as a, a .NET developer. Also got a chance to do some, some mainframe development. So I, I knew a little bit of COBOL and JCL. And, you know, uh, banks are still really big on uh, mainframes. And so got a chance to get my hands dirty with a little bit of that as well as some some report in BI development, so Actuate and Crystal Reporting, uh, which set the scene for some of the work that I did later on. So again, was at you know, the Wachovia Wells Fargo for eight years. By the time I left there, I was working as a delivery manager, which was doing some project management work and, and leading some specific custom customer implementations. That led to me doing some work at uh, Bank of America, where I was leading a team that was really business intelligence, business intelligence and reporting. So I was there for seven years, very heavy BI, ETL, data warehousing while I was there. Got some management experience also. But by the time I left there, I was managing uh, 14 different applications. And so that role was very heavy on the uh, compliance side. So I was working with all of the different security, risk, and compliance teams, you know, just as a big part of my job of making sure that all of my applications were were up to code and in compliance. So I got a lot of, of experience and exposure to this side of the world, you know, while I was still on the app dev side which led perfectly to you know aligning my experience on the data data reporting side to what I currently do today we go to work every day we have our jobs you know we we all work in cybersecurity in some form but is there a certain aspect of this that brings you back every day like something that you love what do you love about cybersecurity other than you know it's a great career and we're protecting everything but there's got to be like little nuances that just Warm your heart a little bit while you're working. <laughs> Devin, you can go first. Okay. Well, I think one of the things that I like about cybersecurity is that the field, it never stops. That's one of the things I like about just tech in general is that it's always evolving. And with cybersecurity, it, it's every new tech that comes out, okay, how do we secure it? I think when, while everyone is, is kind of thinking about, oh, you know, like I'll take the Apple Vision Pro, for example, that released like two weeks ago. And everyone's just like, oh my gosh, this is great. Um, and I'm thinking, okay, how can we secure this? You know, what are some ways that people can abuse this? So just always thinking about how do, how are we one step ahead of, you know, an attacker or, or a threat actor? That is really what makes it, what makes cybersecurity uh, interesting for me. Yeah. How do you not 
to me, that's a daunting or could be a daunting thing, right? Like, so how do you turn that there's always something new, it's always evolving? How do you turn that into a force for positivity and energy and getting you out of bed in the morning as opposed to going, oh my gosh, there's just too much? I think one of the things that, that we have here at Microsoft that I, I will plug is it's just a growth mindset. You can have a fixed mindset or growth mindset. And a growth mindset says, hey, I can always get better at something. I can always learn. I can always grow. And so that, Nick, is kind of, that's what I've decided to do, just have a growth mindset of, hey, you know, we can get better. Yes, there's something else out there, but that's an opportunity for, for me to grow personally. So that, that's how I think about that. How about you, Derek? Yeah, I want to build on on both of your answers, Devin, and and just say that the exciting thing for me about working in security is that we're actually part of a community of enablement. And if you think about it, in the moment at times when when we're building new features are being built on products, we may not look at it that way, right? Because you know now we're coming back with security write ups of hey, here's a vulnerability and this feature you just released must patch it. But think about long-term, the big picture. We're really protecting and enabling innovation long-term. Iteration by iteration, piece by piece, we're ensuring that the things that are being released to the public are safe for them to consume and use. And so what that looks like, you know, is we're reducing the risk of a stack of tech or innovation being released to people that, you know, it's just catastrophically flawed from a, a security perspective. So you think about it, you start releasing major features of products and all it takes is one bad hit in the media where people are catastrophically impacted and that tech is dead now. Right. <laughs> you know, it's, totally. it's, you know, it's been given the red flag from everybody. And so really, you know, as security professionals, we don't want to see that. You know, it, it may feel like or sound like at times we're impeding on some innovation at times, you know, trying to make sure that everything is secured, but it's a necessary step. And so it makes me excited just knowing that the more and more we help product developers and, and people who may not have security at mind right in the beginning, the more and more we're helping to educate them, the better we're making the field overall. We really want to be those trusted advisors in, in that in that respect. I love that answer. I love the the education piece because I can, you know, we've all heard security is a blocker so many times, but there's a reason <laughs> for that. There's a reason that, you know, a security design review is so important. So yes, it's not just it's the no, it's the no because part of it that I think is key for everyone, whether it's customers or developers or so on and so forth. But the intention there is so good. It's so positive. And then the education part is obviously a key factor. So I love these answers. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I think it'll behoove us all if we figure out ways of shifting to becoming more of that trusted advisor, trusted partner to those that we work with, you know, on the, the engineering side, but as well as, you know, just as you mentioned, the customers and stakeholders, right? The more people can feel like, you know, their data and, you know, their actions and activity are, are protected adequately, the better you'll see adoption of new innovation. And so I think that's what we're all here for. We're not here to be to be the bad person, you know, shaking our finger right. or anything. We're, we're really here to, to be that trusted partner. Yeah. And that's, that's what I've heard Derek 
of when I started out in cybersecurity, it was, you know, cybersecurity was the department of no, but uh, I had some great, you know, mentors <laughs> and, and people tell me that, hey, we have to really shift from being a no to yes, you know, and how can we do that? I think one of the things, Derek, that you said that I 100% I agree with is that cybersecurity is, number one, it's got to be a, a enabler instead of like a cost revenue. And it's it's really all about business risk. It's It's really all about how can we help manage risk for a business, or in this case, you know, loved ones from allowing them to still use the technology, but not to the point where it, it puts them in a bad spot. I'd love to have both of you build on that because I, I think to paraphrase Devin, you earlier with this sort of talk about a growth mindset, I asked you about how do you, how do you see this constant expansion of, of, of technology and innovation as a positive force and not something that's daunting. And you talked about growth mindset how to see security as an enabler and, 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 and enablement through security versus it being the department of no. A big part of that has to come down to communicating and how we talk to other people and how we engage to you know with humans. Yes, they're in different divisions and maybe some people are in finance and some are in legal and some are in compliance. And so there's there's different different ways that we intercommunicate with each other. Is that even a word? Intercommunicate? We communicate I think, with I think each so. other. Yeah, it is now. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I'd love I'd love to hear your individual experiences and thoughts on how to effectively communicate and connect with people to help shift them from thinking of security as a burden and as a department of no to enablement. Like Devin, do you have any examples there to share or just some thoughts on that topic? So again, I'm going to give credit where credit is due. This did not come from me. This is something I have heard that I did not come up with. One of the things I think when you're trying to communicate cybersecurity or, or the reason of why it's an enabler is if you kind of take people out of the technical and you, you bring them into kind of their everyday life, right? Everybody, well, a lot of people uh, have driven in a car. No one says, hey, you know, having a seatbelt is holding me back from driving the car. No, it's, it's enabling you to drive the car you know, safely. Faster. Everyone, oh, sorry. Yeah, fa yeah, faster. Exactly. Thank you. Even faster. But everyone gets that because, you know, seatbelts and cars, those have been around and they're, those are more in everyday life. And as if we can make cybersecurity more part of everyone's everyday life, they will stop seeing it as, well, well why do I have to have, you know, multi-factor authentication or why do I have to, you know, have stronger passwords? It can start to become, well, no, I have to do this. So that way, you know, whatever I'm trying to do, I can do it more securely. Yeah, Derek, your, your your thoughts on that and, and sort of how to how to affect sort of communication and connection with others and help turn them around? Yeah, I think it's it's highly situational when whatever that communication looks like. But what I've learned is, you know, meeting people where they are with it. So the way I talk with people on my team and my close engineering partners about something is going to be way different from how I talk with other stakeholders, you know, internally, who may not be as technical, you know, so I'm re removing some of that jargon from there, which, you know, we love it, right? You know, so we're, we're all heavily entrenched in our day-to-day -day jobs. And, you know, it's easy to communicate with somebody in a way that's laced with jargon, specific, that may be specific even to your team, using acronyms that mean a whole lot to your team and those, you know, directly around. But I try to think about, and so I think we do a lot of context switching, especially as PMs. Devin may be able to agree with me on this because we're speaking with a lot of different stakeholders. You know, you're having to understand your audience, right? So the way I speak to somebody on my team or direct directly partnering with my team 
We'll be very much down in the weeds often. I'm using all of our acronyms and jargon that, that we use that we're familiar with. And then the further and further that I get from my team's central mission, and just in terms of people's function and understanding, the more and more general I'm going to be about what I'm saying. If I'm speaking to somebody that is a complete layperson when it comes to security altogether, the way Devin, you know, framed that, that that's exactly how I would do it. You know, I would use something that that's pretty familiar to them. The car seatbelt analogy, for example. Yeah, that car seatbelt right. analogy was great, man. I'm, I'm actually going to steal that one. Uh, <laughs> I, stole, I stole it from someone else. So Yeah. But, you know, there, there are several other ways to frame security that people will get because everybody understands security, you know, just as a basic need in general. So being able to do that and apply it back into a data systems, cyber perspective is really simple for all of us, you know, to connect with other humans on. You know, we're just able to just kind of tie it back to that. So, yeah, a lot of context switching in our world. <laughs> yeah. Also, I want to ask one thing, Derek, is going back to Nick's communication. I think your tone and I guess how you express, you know, cybersecurity, any, you know, any ask or anything that's happening, I think that really matters. Because a lot of times it's just like people get like the, you know, the school teacher of, of no. And that's not, you know, a person that people really want to go talk to or hear from. I think Derek said it, you know, you kind of want to be more of a guidance counselor of just like, hey, you know, I'm I'm here to help you. And here, these are just some recommendations or this is what I advise you to do. You're a lot more likely, people are a lot more likely to listen to and go to that person for, you know, cybersecurity reasons, if, that, if that's how they approach like it. Like a co-pilot, I would agree. Like, yeah, like, <laughs> like, like, yes. Well done. Well nice done, Before we switch gears and go in a different direction, I wanted to ask you both are very experienced, well-versed in the security world. You are now at Microsoft. With all your experience, how is Microsoft different? Whether, you know, different in mission, different in how it approaches its customers. What is it that you love about Microsoft versus your previous history in cybersecurity? And you don't have to say good things here. This is this is not a test. You know, this is you know, yeah, yeah. you know. Be honest here. Tell us what you like, and maybe what's uh, what's been a little challenging. I'll, I'll let you take this one first, Derek. Yeah, yeah. So at Microsoft, the first thing I realized, you know, just kind of being thrown in here, it's a lot of really smart people. It's a whole lot of really smart people, and you start to learn that, you know, being surrounded by a lot of smart people, you start to learn that. There are so many right ways to do something. Oh, yeah, that's a great How point. How do I say this? Like, there's there's a lot of times where people come up with a lot of great ideas. So now we're, we're surrounded with a problem, complex problem, and we've got 10 people in the room and 50 different ideas, you yes. know, because everybody's <laughs> got ideas. And I think the challenge that comes out of that sometimes is like the decision making. Like, okay, well, what's the best idea? And so it can be easy to get into analysis paralysis at times. And so what I've found is I try to help guide towards decision-making through looking at pros and cons, looking at data. We obviously, to the best of our ability, we want to be data-driven at, at decision-making. But then, you know, sometimes, you know, we have to help become a little bit more practical with decision-making because I think if you leave it up to some of the the really smart, super innovative people, we want to build a big, robust solution to things at times. 
And sometimes we're what we need to be able to do is start small, iterate into that. So the good thing is, you know, being around so many people that come up with great ideas and, and you know, have a, amazing minds and vision for building and delivering and innovating. And the challenge of that is, okay, how do we maneuver and navigate through all of that in into gray areas where, okay, we, there is no 100% right answer, but we've got to figure out what this roadmap and this path looks like to actually delivering and making sure that we have a good plan to deliver that's concrete and practical. And I think we get, you know, some really good guidance from leadership here and letting us know what parameters we should be looking at while making those types of decisions. It's just, it may take a little bit more time and a little bit more thought than, you know, just pure cost benefit dollars and cents. How does it affect the PL short term, midterm, and long term? We're actually being a little bit more thoughtful, which which I find refreshing. It was just a little bit of a a culture shock to me and and something I had to adjust to to where, you know, I couldn't just look at something and say, hey, this is going to be the cheaper solution and we can get it done quicker. Okay, well, is that the best solution that we want to go with? And what other data points did you analyze? I'll be right back. <laughs> so that that's kind of what it, it's been for me coming here. The great points. Yeah, I, I would say for me, number one thing that has just like impressed me since I got here was just impact. Like the scale and impact of what we do within you know Microsoft Security and with me, the Microsoft Security Response Center, it's by far the the most impact I've ever worked at of, hey, you know, something, some security vulnerability can come out and it's in the paper the next day. And I was just like, oh, I know that person who's on that case or like, you know, like I, I know those those people. Like it's not a name in the paper. It's like, I, I know who they are. And that kind of cuts both ways of just like, man, we have such an, a platform of impact to secure the world. Um, one of the things that our general manager says is that many people rely on Microsoft products and products and services, not just within the United States, within North America, all over the world. So, you know, you go into work every day and it's like, man, I, I really feel it sounds cheesy, but I really feel like I'm I'm making a difference. So that's number one. The smart people, I would I would take that as well. I probably the one thing of that is still taking me some time is because Microsoft is such a huge organization, there is so much to learn. And I think, you know, the expression is, is, you know, drinking from a fire hose. I've had so many people tell me that of like, it will take time to figure all of this out. Like, don't even, don't try to get it all done overnight. And I think I'm, I'm more of a type A person, you know, Nick, Wendy, Derek. And so I have been able to kind of figure it out overnight at other places. This is like the first <laughs> one was like, no, this this is going to take some time and I, I have to accept that. And it's it's enjoy the ride. Almost permanent fire hose just right by your side. Yep. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. To that point, it's like, if you just think about the vast set of products that, that the company offers, I don't know if you all thought about this, like just, you know, when you're walking around, think about all of the things out there that to some degree, had to have been touched by some Microsoft product. It's hard to say specifically of Microsoft's in this business, like Microsoft and so many different businesses directly, peripherally, indirectly. So yeah, that that 
there's so much to learn there about how Microsoft is affecting, you know, so many different segments. And there's specialists and specializations for each of those segments. So it's really like, it feels endless in terms of the impact. I, I definitely agree with you there. I mean, how many airports have you walked through where maybe one screen is down, they need to reboot or something, and then you see that the windows. I mean, everyone, you're, you're right. It's everywhere. <laughs> yeah. It's everywhere. Every like every dentist office, every, and you're right. I didn't notice this until I started two years ago. And it's like, that makes it so much more impactful to protect and work in cybersecurity within Microsoft because of that. That's a great point. Yeah. So shifting gears a little bit, it is February and February is Black History Month. And the two of you have been incredibly generous in, in agreeing to come onto the, uh, onto the podcast. But I would love to talk about Black History Month. And I would love to ask each of you what it means to be black in cybersecurity. And before you jump in there, I actually want to ask a sort of a pre-question. So I'm, I'm from Australia. So I didn't grow up in the US, although I lived here for 15 years. I always wonder... Should I say black versus a person of color versus African-American versus some other? Help me here a little bit. Like we say Black History Month. Is that how I should be talking? Should I be using other language? So I guess I have a language question first and foremost. And then second of all, I just love to hear your experience of being black in cybersecurity. And what does that mean? And what does that feel like? And, and what's been your, your experiences? Derek, did you want to go first? Sure, yeah, I can go first. Should you be saying black, black history? I mean, yeah, that's, it's, I don't know of anybody that's going to be offended by that, but it's standard. I mean, we still, when we're talking about ethnic groups and racial groups in, in the U.S., like we still say black or African-American, that's a, a standard kind of term, right? Black and cybersecurity. So, I'll say, again, I've been in, in tech for almost 19 years now. And just being a black man, you know, who I don't walk around wearing like a, hey, I work in tech or I work in cyber shirt every day. So when I meet people, I do a lot of networking. And when I say I work in cybersecurity, I almost get a very quick reaction of wasn't expecting that. You know, but, oh, wow, I'm impressed, you know. And I can say it's been like that since I've been in tech. But I can say the cybersecurity piece of it, I probably get a little bit more of that. I get more questions from people. I get asked often how I got into it. And I'll say from non-Black people, again, I definitely get the almost immediate, oh, didn't expect that, you know, but not in a way of, necessarily trying to offend me or anything. It's just that wasn't what they expected to come out of my mouth. And then from other, you know, Black people that I meet, especially ones who are interested in the field, I get a lot of questions about, hey, can you provide me some resources or, you know, ways I can get involved in, ways I can learn more. And so I've got, at any given time, I've got about three or four active you know, back and forth conversations via email or text with, with somebody who has some interest and, you know, is just looking for ways to learn more, looking at opportunities, some people who may have the degree, computer science or IT and has some experience and they're looking to go from a support role to or app dev role into, into cybersecurity. So there's 
lots of interest that <laughs> I get from people just from mentioning that. Again, being in tech so long, I'm used to like you as you know, we're you know, as black people, we're we're pretty underrepresented in in this field. Pretty used to that. Very, very much used to that. When I meet others, you know, like like meeting, you know, and this is I'm actually meeting Devin through this. Yeah. But, you know, I'm sure we'll we'll keep in touch with each other. You know, it's really good to see others that look like you. You know, it's really good to meet people who may have similar experiences. Uh, again, definitely interested in Devin's answer to this as well. But that's, you know, just really what I've noticed is, you know, especially that that initial when you tell somebody yeah, I'm in cybersecurity. Oh, oh, and then super impressed, right? <laughs> so, Yeah, so I, I would say to answer, first of all, I, I agree with a lot of what Derek said. So to answer Nick's initial question, I, I always say Black. I have no issues with that. I actually probably prefer that to African-American. I, I just, I'm a Black guy. That's just, that's what I am. So personally for me, I, I will never be offended by that. Being a Black, you know, man, Black person within cybersecurity, again, I would go from what Derek is saying is that just Black in tech in general, that is already very small, you know, category. I have seen the shift because, again, I grew up with parents in tech, so I did not know. It was not normal. It was normal to me. So as I have, you know, been in the industry, you know, nine years, I think Derek, Derek's got me by 10 years, but I, I've been in nine years. And now that I'm out, you know, kind of in the workplace, I am seeing a lot of other Black people who, you know, were in careers somewhere else and they're pivoting into tech of like, how do I get in? And it just never dawned on me that, you know, again, Everyone does not have my situation, so they may not have heard about, I can work in the tech field or I'm seeing other people like me get in the tech field. Maybe that's an option for me. Again, because I always, I already had my parents, I never questioned if that was you know, something for me. And then in cybersecurity, obviously I equate cybersecurity as a, a discipline within tech. So if there's already not a lot of black people within tech, there's obviously going to be even less within cybersecurity. It's like kind of you know, climbing Mount Everest, you know, the higher up you go, you know, the air gets thinner up there. So kind of with, with Derek, it is one of those, I definitely, if I come across somebody who, who's black in tech and black in cybersecurity, I'm like, you know, we got, we got to, we got to meet, we got to know each other just like, just because I got to find out what have you learned? What are you doing that's working? You know, what can I share with you? Would absolutely hundred percent also echo Derek's comments of pretty much every day. I have somebody reaching out you know, hey, how can I, you know, get into cybersecurity? You know, what can I do? Um, and you just share, you share tips. One thing I will just add, Nick, that my dad had, had told me growing up is that, you know, once you get to a, a certain position, you know, a certain platform, you know, you owe it to, to people to, to pay it backward. Because there's a lot of people that, that helped me get to where I am. Obviously, my dad, my mom, um, and other, you know, Black mentors. So I try to do, you know, what I can for people who are coming up behind me. I also would agree with Derek. I don't tell people a whole lot what I do, not because I'm ashamed, just because oddly enough, most people don't ask. It's just kind of like, hey, we're, you know, I don't want to talk about work while we're out, you know, at dinner. Um, but for people that do, you definitely do kind of get a, mm, okay. I think it's being in cybersecurity is seen as it's a very reputable profession, which I'm honored to be a part of that. But I do wish that like the more Black people are in cybersecurity, I think the less it will be like, oh, like, and, and the more it will be like, okay, you know, sure. It just is. It just, yeah, yeah, it just is. Yeah. Yeah. A couple of things I loved about what Devin was saying there is like, it's definitely a representation thing, you know? So it's important to, 
pay it forward. I was blessed to, you know, to come from an environment where the things I wanted to do was were, were highly supported, you know, and so maybe I, I didn't really see people that worked in tech when I was growing up, but, you know, I was highly supported to do whatever it is that that I wanted to do. After getting into tech and having some years under my belt, I, I started teaching in different ways. So I was teaching coding through this program in Charlotte called um, the Rising Stars, and, and it was a boys program. And these were mostly boys that were black and brown, right, in the Charlotte area. And, you know, they they were going through all these other workshops as a part of that program, but there was a coding element to it that they really loved. And they looked forward to it. And so this was an opportunity where I was the main programming instructor, but I brought in others who were black and brown to talk to these young men. And that, you know, just doing that helps them see, oh, okay, I see, I can see myself doing this. Also, you know, during the pandemic started a coding academy alongside another uh, Microsoft employee was still in Charlotte. Uh, it was the summer of 2020. And so, you know, we wanted to do something during the pandemic that would give, you know, uh, young men an opportunity to do something, learn something while they couldn't get outside, right? And so these were middle school-aged boys who were, like, enthusiastic about learning, really learning how to program. Well, we know that, you know, learning coding and the concepts of coding can be the, the lay the foundation for several different types of careers in tech. And so what I liked about doing that is, you know, giving that foundational level knowledge to people at that age helps them see that, yeah, this is something I can do. It's attainable. And they start to understand and ask questions about what the steps are that it would take for them to get to. And there were some that were interested in cybersecurity from those programs. There were some that, you know, interested in video game programming and things like that. So just being able to take what we learn here in our careers and being able to hand that off to others, whether they're adults and looking to switch careers or, you know, younger people that didn't really initially consider it as a possible career path and they're now looking at it. I mean, that's it's a blessing just to be able to do that. The coding boot camp during COVID sounds way more interesting than learning how to bake sourdough bread. I think I would have chosen <laughs> the coding boot camp myself. And, and on the, the subject of COVID, I know there were a lot of things that were negatively impacted during COVID. But what I can see in terms of bringing more diversity into tech is that now companies are more open to remote work, whereas you have folks that have the the knowledge, the talent, you know, they, they've they been going through school or, or so on and so forth, but then they don't necessarily, they can't leave their families, they can't move. So it broadens the options on hiring. I, I worked for a company previously and they're like, we're never going to do remote. And there was one um, executive that was pushing, like, we are missing out on so many people out there that can't move. So I, I assume, and I'd love, I don't know even how to get the statistics, but has that increase the amount of Black people in tech because of this, because of being able to be remote and and opening that. I'm not sure, but that it just seems like instead of like, okay, we can only hire around Redmond, we can hire from all these different places to be remote. And I, I think that's a huge opportunity that would be really interesting to find out. What does that look like now because of that? 
I don't have the statistics, Wendy, but I, I can just tell you kind of just from an eye test and just, you know, what I, I feel in my heart, it 100% has allowed more minorities to, to come into the tech and cybersecurity space. I know for me, like that was one of my things of, you know, when I started out, you know, my dream was, you know, I, I wanted to work, you know, at a Microsoft at one of the top tech companies in the world, but it was always kind of like, they're always, you know, they're all out on, on the West coast. And it's just like, you know, I, my family's here in the, in the DC area. And it's just like, I, it, it's tough to kind of uproot your life. Even if, you know, even if you can, let, let's, you know, put all the people that can't um, to the side, even if you could, it's like, I'm away from my family, maybe a high cost of living, you know, maybe I, I can't, you know, make it out there. But the minute that COVID happened and everything was remote, it's just like, wow, like it, opens up that opportunity that maybe folks never thought they could have. That's part of the reason of, of why I think I'm, I'm at Microsoft now, just because of them lifting, maybe that lifting that requirement that was there before. Most of my team is in, is in the Seattle. I've gotten to fly out there one time, but I don't think I could do this if not, not for this, the position I'm in being remote. So it, it absolutely opens up the door for people. Yeah. And I love that Microsoft has kept that option where so many companies have closed that now that we're, Back to some, I don't know what normal is anymore, but now we're back, you know, so many companies are, you know, they require you to be in the office three days a week or something like that. That's just not attainable for people such as yourself, myself as well, you know. So um, I'm, I'm grateful for Microsoft for this. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, and I can echo that. I can say I, I talked to a lot, of, a lot of other Black folks about roles at Microsoft and, and other companies, but, you know, just at Microsoft specifically. And the first question is always, do I have to relocate? That's literally the first one. That's one I was thinking, you know, when I was interviewing for this role, I made the move and I was able to, you know, not everybody can do that. And I, I recognize that. That was huge. That was a huge change. I made the move. And for those that can, uh, when I'm having that conversation with them, I like to, you know, encourage them to think about it. Like, I, I love it here. You know, I think it's a it's a great place to live. One thing, like just being Black in America in general, we're generally cautious about areas of the country when we see lower numbers of us and lower representation. So it's always something to think about. And so if you don't know the area, you're not familiar with it, and then you hear, yeah, there's not a lot of black people there. You start thinking, okay, well, how would I be treated there? You know, would I be included? You know, would I feel a sense of community? And that's generally the apprehension from people when when they see the job posting and it and it lists West Coast or Washington or or whatever, a place where they're not used to. But I, again, I love that a lot of these roles are are being open to remote work. I'm seeing some great talent being obtained here because of that. And, you know, people who really couldn't entertain the option of moving across the country. Now they're on teams contributing uh, lots of value. And, you know, we're, I think we're, we're getting better because of it, because we're having to be more intentional about the way we communicate as teams. We can't just say, hey, everybody, Monday morning, come into this conference room and, you know, we don't really have an agenda. We're just going to hammer this thing out. Now we're having to be really intentional about how we're picking times to meet and the specific agenda items there. What are we accomplishing in this 30 minutes here uh, while we've got people? We've got the tools. Uh, we've got teams. We've got 
co-pilot for teams. We got all of that that helps us organize stuff. But now, you know, we just have to make sure that, you know, we're not excluding anyone because of their geographic area, their time zone. And I, and I think it's making us be more deliberate about communications and meetings. And so I think overall it's good, but it definitely helps the diversity too. Derek, let's stick with sort of uh, diversity and, and inclusion as a theme here. And I think for folks listening to the podcast, what does, well, obviously for folks listening to the podcast, but specifically for folks listening to the podcast that aren't black, what would you say effective allyship and support looks like? What can people do to support and be allies of their their black coworkers, but also in a more general sense, like how can they positively affect and support uh, the black community in tech, in cybersecurity? Uh, you know, it's a big question. You know, I don't mean to sort of, you know, distill it down to, you know, solve this for me in three <laughs> words, but is there any sort of practical stuff that you've seen, you've experienced, you've heard about that you think would be good advice for folks listening to the podcast today? So one thing, uh, I always try to give people actionable things. One of the things that I know of right now is that, number one, Microsoft has a uh, Black Set Microsoft Employee Research Group, and they do a lot of great things in the community, you know, in, in our various communities, as Derek was talking about, since we're spread out. That's a great way to get involved, of just attend some of the town hall meetings, find out what that employee research group is doing. For those people who are not at Microsoft, Blacks at Microsoft is doing a scholarship fund that is open to the public. It's open for any Black or African-American senior. I know we're in February right now. A lot of seniors are, uh, if they haven't already, are looking trying to get to school. And if they are interested in a STEM or a business degree, that is a scholarship fund for them. I'm sure uh, Nick or Wendy, I can give you guys a link for the, the show notes. Yeah, we'll put some links in the show notes. Yeah, that'd be great. But yeah, but that's a great way of just like, hey, send it out to your community. I more than likely you have somebody that could benefit from that. And that will help, as Derek said, just get more black people within, you know, technology or cybersecurity. That's number one way. The other way I would just say, um, kind of what you did, Nick, of just like, hey, listen, you know, I'm I'm Australian or I'm, you know, non-black. I may not know, I don't know a whole lot about this area. Can you just like, what's the difference between do you prefer black? Do you prefer African American? Just kind of having those respectful questions. I really don't know. I think, you know, Derek and I have, you know, grown up, we can sense, I think, when people are coming across as like well-meaning or if like, you know, you have some type of negative connotation behind it. And if, you know, if you come in a, hey, I, I really just want to learn, I can't speak for every black person. I can speak for me. I will never feel like, oh, why would you ask that question? It's like, no, he, he's asking. He or she is asking. So just, you know, don't be, feel, don't be afraid to ask. Just ask in a respectful way. And almost every time you'll, you'll get a, the answer that you're looking for. Thanks, David. And, and Derek? Absolutely. I, I agree with that. The way, the way you approach that, you know, you, you, you asked, but, you know, I, I think we don't have enough of those types of conversations just with open candor. And so approaching the maybe discomfort or unknowing or lack of awareness, maybe of some of the differences or things that, that, Black people may go through in this industry. You know, asking the question always opens the door to further conversation and, and understanding. And that's an understanding that, you know, you're asking the question again from a state of genuine curiosity uh, and wanting to learn. That's great. 
again, I can speak for myself. Uh, I, I'm like Devin. If you ask that, that question, I'll answer it with openness and candor. I can't speak for everyone, just like, just like Devin said. And, you know, there's some people, and then situationally, you could probably catch somebody in a space where, hey, I don't, I don't want to talk about that right now, or I don't want to talk about that with you. And that may not be a complete total shutdown from that person, but, you know, hey, we're all humans, right? And, you know, I can think of situations where, there may have been like something that's happened really big in the media and it's affecting our community significantly. And there are times where it wasn't acknowledged. And then people I was working with had something going on and were like, Hey, you're going to come out for drinks with us. And I, I did not feel like it in that moment because this was happening and I was not in a good place because of it. And then I remember other times where, you know, things happened in the media and they were addressed directly. And, you know, Derek just wanted to see, like, how is this affecting you? And that means a lot. You know, it, it may not make me feel better, but it means a lot that, you know, you may be acknowledging that, hey, I understand we're all doing this work thing here, but this is going on and it's probably affecting you. And you're having to sit here and put on a face while working. That's a real thing that I can't say every black person goes through or deals with because, you know, we all process things differently as humans. But I can guarantee you if you have a black coworker and one of these like shootings or something happens in the media and we're all hearing about it and being flooded with the images and video of it, I can almost guarantee you that they're probably having to deal with and process that a certain way that can affect how you're looking at things that work. Some people, you know, I, I can say I'm probably really good at parsing that from my work. Uh, but yeah, now if we're talking about, okay, you know, we just did this. Let's, let's all go to lunch together. I may not feel like going to lunch with, with everyone that day. I may need a couple of minutes to myself, you know, just to think about what's going on there and process it a little bit, you know, without working on the work stuff, right? So just having an awareness there that, you know, there are things that may land on us a little differently, you know, just as they come about, you know, is is really helpful. I will say now that as Derek was talking, one of the things that came to me again, Nick and Wendy, you know, this is a great, you know, example of allyship, you know, just be on this podcast. You know, one of the reasons I can only speak for myself, obviously, I was honored to be here just as a Microsoft employee. But one of the reasons I said yes, is just I understand, like Derek said, representation matters. And being able to send this to someone like, hey, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm not the world's best security expert, but, you know, if I can do it, you can. This is, this would not have happened without Nick and Wendy and, and Stephanie, I'm assuming as well. You know, that having us on this platform is a great allyship because, like you said, or maybe it hasn't been said, this podcast is available on all, all platforms. So that, that level of reach, yeah, I mean, that. That's a huge for allyship, personally. Absolutely. Absolutely. The intentionality behind this, that is in itself allyship and, you know, what we're, what we're calling it. You know, I, I think it's a word people like to, to use, right? But, you know, there's action behind it. And so you all intentionally saying, yes, let's, let's bring these guys on here to talk and let, let's ask these questions. Totally appreciated it. And, and I think it, you know, it, it'll help open up more conversations, I think. 
Oh, wow. Just such some profound stuff from, from both of you. Thank you. I, I, I think it's one of the great things about the fact that Black History Month exists and that we do have these times throughout the year where there is a day that we celebrate a person or a people a month um, because it it allows us, you know, Devin and, and Derek, both of you probably would have ended up on the Blue Hat podcast at some point to talk about a piece of research or to talk about a campaign or a program that you're working on. And I have no doubt that'll happen uh, at some point in the future. But we get to actually have you on and we ha- get to have this conversation about what it's like to be to be black in cybersecurity and in tech, uh, how to be an ally, and to have you know conversations that perhaps otherwise wouldn't happen. So I, I personally, as a as a non-black person, but hopefully as an ally, it's one of the things that I think is wonderful about having things like Black History Month is that it does give you a sort of a forcing function to maybe ask different questions and have different conversations. So thank you so much to to both of you again for being on the podcast and for for sharing so much. We we have a few minutes left. I wanted to just uh, quickly ask sort of one follow-up question and then I'll I'll hand the reins back over to Wendy. Coming back to some sort of practical advice, we know that diversity and inclusion are a superpower and specifically in cybersecurity, you know, having diverse perspectives, diverse backgrounds, diverse voices, different ways of looking at solving problems and seeing seeing the signal and the noise is such a superpower. How, as an industry or as an individual, can we affect greater and more positive diversity in this space, be it for the Black community or for other communities? And I know you, you both talked about it already in terms of sort of mentorship and scholarships and things. I'm wondering, do either of you have a, a program that you either are a part of or a community group that you support or something you'd like to, to plug or talk about here that, that is sort of a, a tactical or, or a practical thing that people could do? Devin, I'll start with you. Well, I think, Nick, one of the things that I, I specifically do as, as someone who's black in tech and black in cybersecurity is I'm always reaching out to people and just finding out, you know, how, how did you get your career? I'm always looking up to other people like, you know, I, I like what you're doing. What did you do? And uh, the thing is, Nick, after a while, you know, you ask a lot of people, you get good at asking questions. And a couple of people said, hey, you know, I think you should start a podcast. You, a- you ask great questions. So I, I started to do that. So I created the Talking Tech podcast where I just promote diverse tech and cyber-related news, career journeys and pivots of, of Black people and other, really anybody, but it was specific, specifically for Black people, of just seeing other careers of other people who are in tech or cybersecurity, of just understanding it's possible, you know, promoting those people who have, you know, maybe a, a passion project in tech or cybersecurity or, you know, maybe a business venture. I really just wanted to use that platform as a way of showing people that, a career in tech or cybersecurity is not, excuse my French, just someone who's, who's white. Tech is for everyone. And I wanted to just have a platform that showed that. So that's one of the things that I, I actively do. What's the web address? So how do we find your podcast? It's on YouTube. It's called the Talking Tech Podcast. Great. We'll put a link in the in the show notes. Sorry, keep going, Devin. So yeah, that that's what I do. And again, kind of like Derek, when people reach out to me of just like, hey, how do I get into cybersecurity? I'm working with a guy who, you know, got out of school about two years ago. He has a uh, information systems degree, but he's trying to get into, into cybersecurity and he's just needs some guidance. So I also op- offer, you know, mentoring, ad hoc mentoring as well. Awesome. So, you know, reach out to other people that might be in that space you're interested in and just, you know, ask for a connection, ask for support. Sounds like that's one of your pieces of advice. And then Devin, you have this podcast, which, which we'll make sure everyone goes and listens to and subscribes to after they finish this episode. Derek, your thoughts? Yeah, I, I, I would uh, recommend joining some of the professional organizations. So we've got 
NSBE, which is National Society of Black Engineers, BDPA, Black Data Processing Associates. There's BIT, Black in Technology. That's actually uh, founded and led by a Microsoft employee. Those are all great organizations to join. There is locally here in the Seattle area, it's called Tech Access Foundation. So one of the things that they've done, they're a nonprofit that's actually partnering with school systems to bring STEM education into some of the schools that, you know, have a more diverse population here. And, you know, they've been extremely successful, also founded by a former Microsoft employee. Um, and so, you know, supporting organizations like that, that are, um, you know, helping to enhance education at the K through 12 level is helpful. That builds the pipeline that helps cement not just tech, but STEM careers in for uh, students that, are, that come from underrepresented populations. And then one thing I'm doing locally in Seattle, this isn't just specifically for tech, but my wife and I founded a company where we host networking and experience related events that are targeted towards promoting, you know, the black community, black businesses, black led nonprofits locally. Again, because people say they come here and oh, there's no black people in in Western Washington, or or they see a job posting here and they say, yeah, there's no black people there, there's no black culture there. I don't know how I'd feel about living there. Well, now they they see our events, they see what we're doing. People, you know, starting to find their circle of friends. They find uh, causes to support, black-led nonprofits to support. But one of the big things that brings a lot of black people to Western Washington is, you know, technology, technology jobs, technology companies that are hiring us. So it's also a good way of building that network just amongst each other. So uh, it's good for us all to know okay, I know this person over at X company or Y company. And so that we know what the market's looking like, if we're looking at roles or we have roles here at Microsoft, we know talented people from our community that we can start referring to those. And so it's always helpful when that role is is being approved and it's posted, it's always helpful to know people that may be looking for something to be able to say, hey, I know this person over here uh, and I can refer them. And yeah, they happen to be a black person too, but you know that, hey, this person has been doing this for years over at X company. So they they know the concepts. Uh, they should be pretty competitive in an interview. So that's really helpful too. And my company is called Sync Seattle, S-Y-N-C Seattle. And so I've met a lot of other black folks here in Seattle who are, are in tech as well, just through that. That's awesome. I love I love the initiatives that you both are are leading. That's great. And and kind of on this note, and I know we're we're at time and I'm just gonna make this real fast and quick question. For folks such as myself, who I came to both of you, hey, do you want to be on this podcast? But I also want to be very sensitive. I know, you know, I do a lot of initiative also to get, you know, women in tech involved and and you know, with the internal security and awareness program for folks listening. Strike, we definitely lean into the ERGs. We go to the BAM community, we go to women in security community, but want to balance that to be like, hey, we want to make sure that our events and our podcasts and so on and so forth are diverse. But we also, like, how would someone like myself balance it, like coming to you where you don't feel like we're only coming to you because you're Black? Like, how do you balance to be like, 
you also are amazing technologists. So, you know, I know a lot of women have said, like, I don't want to be put on stage because I'm a woman. But we also want to put folks on stage so that we can show that it's not just, and again, apologies, not just white men, it's, we're all here. So how, from your perspective, is a good way to, to approach that? I can only speak for myself, Wendy. I understand people that say, hey, I don't, I don't want to be approached for a platform just because, you know, I'm Black or I'm a woman. Personally, for me, I think more of, of long-term of, hey, going on this platform is going to help more people like myself, you know, find the courage to maybe take that path. So that's really how I look at it of, listen, I know I'm given an opportunity here and, and this, is, this opportunity is bigger than just me. Yeah, no, agree there also. But you know, Wendy, I think an opportunity like this, you know, for this specific purpose, I think it, it, it's great. I want to invite you, I want to invite Nick as well Continue to use me as a resource too, you know. So if you're looking for future guests uh, on other topics, I may know somebody, you know, whether they're black or not, but I may know somebody then and I can help refer people to you as future guests. I think the world of cybersecurity, again, we're definitely up underrepresented in within it, but I don't want to speak for Devin, but I'm pretty sure we both know some people who look like us have done some amazing things in different sectors within it. So, again, feel free to use me as a as a resource as well going forward. I'd, I'd love to be a, a friend of the podcast in any way I can. Go subscribe. It's a great podcast. Yes, I, I see the theme <laughs> here is ask questions and be inclusive. Because I think that fear of asking, I think, is a, is a barrier for, for a lot of folks that just, just ask. Appreciate, appreciate the um, open conversations here. Thank you. It's been an honor to be in here. Yeah, thank you, gentlemen. So we've mentioned a lot of uh, websites and community groups and, and advocacy platforms. We will put all those those links in the show notes. So if you want to find out how to find some of these things we've been talking about in the podcast, please check out the show notes. Devin Price, Derek Love, thank you so much for your time. I have no doubt we will see you again on the Blue Hat Podcast, but thanks for being a part of this uh, first ever video special edition. This was great conversation and uh, very important and it was wonderful to have it with you. Thank you so much. Thank you. All right, thank you both. Thank you for joining us for the Blue Hat Podcast. If you have feedback, topic requests, or questions about this episode, please email us at bluehat at microsoft.com or message us on Twitter at MSFTBlueHat. Be sure to subscribe for more conversations and insights from security researchers and responders across the industry by visiting bluehatpodcast.com or wherever you get your favorite podcasts.